Welcome to a special midweek QB carousel start spinning edition of Unexpected Points. I'm going to talk everything about Aaron Rodgers, the move for Russell Wilson, what does it mean for the league as a whole, and then also get into how things may play out for other teams needing quarterbacks going forward. All right, all right, all right. We did not see this coming. I don't think most people saw this coming, at least. I guess the Aaron Rodgers news we saw coming because of the fact that Rodgers, they needed to know what was happening with him to start the whole free agency thing. If you have been listening to your humble podcaster here, you know that I was of the opinion that Rodgers was likely going to go back to Green Bay and he played this pretty well, no matter how you look at it. The fact that he's going to get the contract that he's going to get, the fact that he got maybe the attention that he wanted a little bit here, uh, I think it's safe to say. I don't want to read too much into people's motivations here, but it would not surprise me for someone who has been willing to do the Pat McAfee show, been willing to put himself out there a bit more, uh, give some of his very interesting opinions on a number of topics that he wouldn't mind being part of the news cycle on a continual basis. But now he is returning to Green Bay. The contract has not been worked out. I think whatever you're seeing for the contract, I would not pay much attention to the ramifications uh, in the future, the cap ramifications in the future. They're in a good little window here where if you think about Rodgers, he's, I mean, I know quarterbacks are playing forever now. But Rodgers is 38 years old, about to be 39. He's not a spring chicken, exactly. And while there are no signs of him declining at all at this point, which is you know easy to say about the two-time reigning MVP, it's somewhere in the future. I don't think everyone's going to be a Tom Brady and playing, again, being the number one PFF passing grade at the, uh, you know, the age of 43 years old. So this will probably take him out for the rest of his his career. I don't think it's going to imperil the Packers that much as far as what they want to do uh, with the team going forward. And I think it'll just be restructured over and over again in a Drew Brees-like manner, which will <clears throat> then have the bill will come due. The big bill will come due, and they'll just have that coincide with his retirement, and that will be that. More concerning for them, honestly, is things like the David Bakhtiari contract, where that was a top, top-notch deal. There's going to be more those types of deals that are going to actually have an effect on the Packers' ability to re-sign Zedarius Smith or Preston Smith, what goes on there, if they're going to cut any of, the, any of, the, any of those guys. Um, Devontae Adams. Clearly, they'll franchise tag him. They'll do multiple franchise tags if necessary, I think, going forward with him. So he's not going anywhere. So I don't think Rodgers' contract is a big, huge problem. If anything, in the short term, uh, this commitment will allow them to redo the deal, extend it out, and lower his cap hit for this season, which was going to be necessary. So Packers fans should be feeling pretty good about this. I know there's some consternation out there about the fact that you only have the one Super Bowl you only have the one Super Bowl appearance. 
You had a early exit last year and then a couple of years before couldn't get things done at home. And then the year before that got completely blown out on the road in the NFC Championship game against the 49ers. Yeah, the Packers haven't been able to get it done. Yes, I wrote an article about Aaron Rodgers talking about his conservatism is definitely a thing. If you look at the fact that he does not adjust his passing mix to go further down the field to throw passes that are more likely to be intercepted when you'd want to. Yes, there are issues there, and there has been some bad luck, though, more than anything for the fact that the Packers have not surpassed and gone further at that point. So continuing to load up with one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time is your best way to maximize your chances of having a Super Bowl roster, especially in a very depleted NFC. Before I talk about why the NFC is even more depleted now with Russell Wilson leaving, let me just quickly mention that you can get... Uh, access to my analysis. I talked a lot about the combine earlier this week. I'm going to have a lot of draft analysis this year. I'm really going to be stepping it up so far, uh, whether it be from the fantasy or real football perspective. You can get all that promo code unexpected, support the pod, get 25% off PFF subscription. Okay, so the, the I don't have a ton to say about Rodgers and what's going on here because it's a steady state event. He's going to continue going forward. It was in the best interests of everyone considering there. And then right after the Rodgers news hits, in a conspicuously uh, soon thereafter, the news hits that Russell Wilson is being traded to the Denver Broncos. The particulars of the trade, we have two first-round picks, two second-round picks, and a few players. You have Noah Fant, a young former first-round tight end who has one year left on his four-year contract if you exercise the fifth-year option on here. Presumably, the Seahawks will do that for next season. It's going to come out to around $9 million total salary over the next two years. So you're getting Noah Fant for about $4.5 million a year over the next two years at the very least. It is inexpensive to franchise tag tight ends going forward, relatively inexpensive going forward on that, as we're seeing with Gasicki and others being franchised. So he's he seems like a piece that they want to that they want to have there. So he's part of the deal. Uh, Shelby Harris, who the minute you see any time, you know, anytime they're talking about the leadership qualities of someone, you can translate that into salary dump. I think that was the Seahawks taking on some salary there for Harris and whether or not he makes it to uh, week one, we'll see. But again, a 30-year-old player is probably not the thing that Seattle wants for, I would say, a soft rebuild here. I don't think it's a hard rebuild. I think it's you can, you can frame it as a retooling, but any time that you are switching out the quarterback, it's at least some sort of rebuild, in my opinion. Um, so, so he's part of the deal. He's going over there. And then Drew Locke. Now, Drew Locke, I do not think is going to be the starting quarterback week one for the um, Seattle Seahawks, they have enough cap space and they have enough talent on that team to want to find a more viable quarterback option. But he is a piece that, number one, Denver didn't necessarily want anymore. And number two, Seattle can have for who knows how John Schneider felt felt about him in the draft. But Seattle can have to at least be a backup option or have someone who could maybe compete for a starting job if they're not able to land someone who they really want or they bring in a rookie. And I want to talk about the rookie piece probably more than anything else here. It's a little, I was going to say it's ironic, but then it's probably more ironic in a Alanis Morissette sort of sense than in a reality sort of sense. But the Seahawks would have had the 10th overall pick 
this season, if not for the Jamal Adams trade. Now they're getting the ninth pick as probably the cornerstone of this deal. And my assumption is, and I, this could be a dangerous assumption. My assumption is they like a quarterback in this draft class for the Seattle Seahawks. You could say, oh, they'll, they'll, they'll tank. They'll, you know, they'll start Drew Locke. They'll go two and 15. And then next year, when there is higher level of quarterback talent, at least being projected to be part of that class, they'll be in prime position to have ammunition there to either be near the top or be able to move up a few spots if need be with picks to go get that quarterback. NFL timelines, people don't think that long into the future very often on many teams, especially not when you have the oldest head coach in the NFL and you have a roster where you're going to have Jamal Adams with an increasing cap hit. You're going to have uh, Bobby Wagner who may or may not, you know, it looks like he, he's, he's going to be hitting the bricks pretty soon. But you have a you have a team that's that you're not going to necessarily want to have a window looking out multiple multiple years for your young players like DK Metcalf, like Noah Fant, who you just brought on. You're not going to say we want to get further and further past these guys in potential extension years and uh, and stronger salary years because if you're drafting a quarterback in twenty. 23, if you're drafting him next offseason, that first season is pretty much out the window. Rookie quarterbacks, you don't, it doesn't happen. It rarely even happens in their second season. Very rare occasion. They, they, they can get super far to like a Super Bowl in their second season, but that's normally when the leap occurs. So that wouldn't be until 2024. I just don't see that happening. I think it's, they like a quarterback here. And at number nine, the optionality here would be if they like Malik Willis, the rumor mill is very strong that Willis is going to be a potential top five pick sort of thing. So maybe they don't like Willis. Maybe they like one of the other quarterbacks. And if they like Matt Corral, if they like Sam Howell, if they like Desmond Ritter, if they like Kenny Pickett, one of those guys for sure will be available at nine. And I think the odds are as of now that all of them will be available at nine. All the non Malik Willis quarterbacks will be available at nine. So I think that you know, Seattle may like one of those guys. I like Matt Corral. I think he's a he's my favorite quarterback of the class. And the fact that his draft stock has been slipping for no real reason other than the fact that some there are others for Ritter and um, Willis have been rising. And Corral's been slipping for the fact that he hasn't been able to participate in the drills and other things uh, because of injuries. I think he could be an interesting guy to pick up. Now, in a way, you could frame this as the Seahawks raising their ceiling. Now you're dramatically lowering the floor, of course, getting rid of uh, Russell Wilson and bringing in a rookie quarterback. But if everything goes right, so if you hit on the quarterback and next season, not in his rookie season, but next season, he plays in a manner of a Joe Burrow or a Justin Herbert or, you know, Deshaun Watson or a Patrick Mahomes or whatever. If he hits like one of these sorts of quarterbacks has, that combined with the draft picks gives you the highest ceiling for a team that has imperiled itself by trading away draft picks for Jamal Adams and others in a win-now type of mode. Um, But again, it's a low-probability event, but you're giving yourself – a higher chance overall of that ceiling outcome, which is still in a in an absolute sense a low probability event that it's going to end up happening. I think that is 
what the Seahawks are doing. And I think that considering the division that they're in, having to face off against Kyler Murray and Matthew Stafford and Trey Lance. Um, I mean, who knows how, how good Trey Lance will be, but at least a, a competent and good 49ers team. Considering that division, they were in a diff- they're going to have a difficult chance, I think, even with Russell Wilson, to truly compete for anything other than making the playoffs, potentially making the playoffs there. And if we look back to Seattle, I think we look back to what happened when if things fell apart last season and we say, well, Russell Wilson injured his finger, that will cure itself and they'll be back in contention again. But even looking further back in a further back window, which was funny, if you look at the, you know, the meme videos that were made by Josh Cashman, uh, Cable Thanos, about how everyone was writing off the Seahawks multiple years before that, and then they would charge through and defy expectations year over year and end up winning. The reality was those Seahawks teams were not as good as their records ended up being in those in those years. Now, Russell Wilson was good, but the Seahawks teams were not necessarily as good. So this is not a team that really has the, the infrastructure to be a plug into the playoffs, plug as a competing for the NFC Championship team with Russell Wilson there. So I think it makes sense from their perspective to move to move on from him. And if you're a Seahawks fan, you are completely justified in being upset at being disappointed of losing the most important player, I guess in franchise history, probably, honestly, um, their Hall of Fame quarterback for losing that player, totally justified to be upset there. But from a more, you know, cold-blooded, team-building, patient sort of perspective, I'm okay with this trade for the Seahawks. This is as much compensation as I thought that they were going to get for Russell Wilson. The fact that there were multiple bidders here tremendously helped their cause. And some people have pointed to the Washington commanders, still getting used to saying commanders, uh, three first round picks, and they weren't willing to trade them into the NFC. I mean, what is the, there's not a big difference between three first round picks and two first round picks, two second round picks, and a player, a useful player like Noah Fant for $4 million a year over the next couple of years. I mean, if you even look at the the draft order for this season, um, right, the Washington is what? They're at 11. So even that, even that incremental difference of getting the Broncos pick at 9 versus getting the Washington Commanders pick at 11, I think, is useful. And I think that's a good consideration. So I, I don't want to lean too much into this idea of maybe they made a mistake or they needed to get Russell Wilson out of the the conference and they shouldn't have thought about that. The trade package was plenty good enough, plenty uh, equivalent, in my opinion, to what was being talked about for the Washington Commanders. And I don't think they would have been able to extract that much more out of Washington. Um, so now Washington is next in the QB carousel market. Before I flip over to the Broncos side of the equation and why I thought this was a win-win type of deal here, let me talk about our friends at All22. For those of you who don't know, this is a new sponsor for the last few weeks for the podcast. And All22 is the newest fantasy football game that has hundreds of NFL, um, I'm sorry, that PFF employees have been playing. So we were playing this last season. It uses PFF weekly grades as the main scoring component and it tests your ability to build a full 53 man roster offensive line included if you've ever dreamt of sitting in an nfl front office 
If you enjoyed the scouting process, you're going to want to check out All22. Join the wait list on all22.com and nothing more than your email. You will join the wait list before the NFL draft to get a special promo code for your All22 subscription. And wait list users will gain access to premium content like inaugural draft guides, in-season strategies, feature releases, announcements, and more. Be sure to follow at All22 underscore PFF on Twitter. All22, less fantasy, more football. And also DraftKings. Let's talk about DraftKings. Maybe I should have done this before talking about Calvin Ridley. I'll talk about it a little bit later here. But um, DraftKings, Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up. I am talking between the legs, 360 windmill good. Bet just $1 and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If the sportsbook isn't available in your state, you can take your shot at a big payday. Everyone plays for huge cash prizes on the Daily Fantasy Basketball Contest. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 free in bets if they win. That's promo code PFF at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 or over, minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Gambling problem called 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay, let's get over to the Broncos. I like this for the Broncos. The Broncos, maybe it's a bit overstated how solid that roster is. They traded away Vaughn Miller. They got a couple of picks for that, which defrays some of the costs of this transaction. Miller supposedly wants to come back, and I think having Russell Wilson there will be very attractive. They have made tons of investments, either with cap or with draft capital, in the offensive weaponry on that team. So adding the quarterback element to Jerry Judy, to KJ Hamler, they spent picks on him, to Javante Williams, to now Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick, who they who they have money on, to Albert O, who they didn't spend a ton as a fourth round draft pick in the draft, but he ran a 449 at 260 pounds, so he is another offensive weapon there. All of those guys there, this is a team that's going to get ultimate maximization off of a quarterback. And unless you're talking about a full rebuild for them, um, they are in a division that's even more of a juggernaut than the NFC West in the AFC West there. So they needed this ceiling to compete and they haven't had a viable quarterback since Peyton Manning, even though they won the championship with him in 2015, he has, he really wasn't first half of 2014 was the last time that Peyton Manning was playing like Peyton Manning. So this made a ton of sense from, from their perspective. I think the cost is hefty, but not prohibitive. I think the ceiling for Russell Wilson is high. I think that we are probably underrating him as a player in some quarters because of the fact that he had trouble in the last half of last season and the last half of 2020, but he did show to be back to more of the normal Russell Wilson in the first half of this year. And I like the pairing with Nathaniel Hackett here. This is not going to be, in my opinion, a a high-volume passing offense. This is not going to be let Russ cook sort of thing. But if you do the Green Bay sort of way of building things off of a play-action passing, Russell Wilson obviously can be good there. Building uh, an offense that's looking for more of a high high efficiency for the lower volume, and then marrying it with the talent that they have there on offense. There's going to be a lot that Russ can do there. And the offensive line will be a little bit better. That was the main complaint for Russell Wilson. I mean, Russell Wilson is going to take sacks. 
There's no doubt about that, no matter who his offensive line are. But the fact that this is more of a mid-range offensive line other than a perennial bottom 10 offensive line gives him a little bit more upside as far as that's concerned. So big, big, big move for them. Um, one other thing I'll say about Seattle is, you know, if they're going to trade Tyler Lockett, that's another piece that I didn't really touch on. And I probably should have, because I think it also falls into this retooling process where again, pointing to me, to the rookie quarterback. Some people said, oh, you can develop a rookie quarterback better with Tyler Rocket, Tyler Lockett there. I mean, whether Tyler Lockett is there or is not there is not going to be the determinant factor whether or not uh, a rookie quarterback succeeds or not. He's entering his age 30 season. He misses a lot of time. Seattle, again, is going to target the 2023 season as the first time to really compete with this rookie if they draft one here. So by then, Lockett will be in his age 31 season. So trading him away, Makes a lot of sense to me with the fact that they have DK Metcalf, a young guy. They have uh, D. Estridge that they just drafted last season. And now they'll have Noah Fant there also as a very young core of pass catchers, which is, you know, a lot of speed there. You know, a lot of speed in those pass catching cores. So I think they can make a very interesting team there. Uh, back to the Broncos for a second. My, I think the biggest upside here. And I discussed this on the fantasy football podcast yesterday, so maybe not from a quote-unquote real football perspective, but from a fantasy football perspective. Javante Williams, I think, is the winner here as far as maybe they bring back Melvin Gordon, maybe they don't, but that was going to happen anyway. But now the touchdown ceiling is just so much higher for him there that I think that's going to be a really interesting pairing with Wilson, a quarterback who can move himself, who can, you know, in, in the read option game or even the play action game is a threat to hold the end there to to give a little bit more room to the running game. I think that could be a very, very fruitful pairing with those two there in Denver. All right, let's move on to the rest of the QB carousel. So what's going to go on here? Deshaun Watson is in the news. This Friday, there's going to be some clarification of what's going to happen on the criminal side for him going forward. I'm not a legal expert, so I should probably throw that caveat here in advance before discussing all of these things here. But to me, it doesn't sound so hot. But his attorney, Rusty Hardin, who is one of, you know, is the high-priced Texas attorneys you could possibly have, uh, a near celebrity himself, seems excited about this development. You only need a grand jury if you are going to bring felony charges. So this is for felony charges. Deshaun Watson could still have misdemeanor charges, but the grand jury is not necessary. So this is what they're considering here. So if the grand jury decides to indict, there will be an indictment on felony charges of some sort of sexual assault. If they do not, there can still be charges, but of a misdemeanor fashion that will most likely result in probation or a fine and or a fine. Um, so the grand jury is going to convene is going six, at least six women have been subpoenaed to speak in front of the grand jury. It doesn't sound like there's a lot of physical evidence here, but the evidence it's not that there's no evidence because remember testimony is evidence. So that's the evidence that they have there. From my perspective, I don't know how willing or able the grand jury is to consider the preponderance of evidence for the multiple, for the multiple accusers versus just one accuser, but even six. I know we're not talking about 22, like we're talking about for the civil charges, but even six sounds pretty bad for me. The likelihood that you'd have one person bringing false or um, charges that you would be incredulous of is X. The probability that you have two people doing that is half of X, 
The probability of three people doing that is one quarter of X and so on and so forth. Once you get up to six, we're getting a pretty small chance that this is just total malarkey and there's nothing behind any of it. And of course, when we're talking about 20 something accusers on the civil side, it's even less and less of a chance. I understand we cannot view these things like the probability that one person is trumping up this these charges trumping up this case in order to extract some money from Deshaun Watson the probability of that happening we cannot apply that same kind of probabilistic fashion when we're looking at 6 10 20 different women doing that i think that's what makes this most troubling maybe though the jury, grand jury will pass and maybe that will open up the floodgates for Deshaun Watson to then go out onto the market potentially suffer a minor suspension if he decides to go ahead and cop to the misdemeanor charge and move on with his life. And then he'll just have the civil stuff in in the background there. I don't know. But to me, I've always been of the opinion here when it comes to Deshaun Watson, the credibility of these charges that whether you, you know you listen to the accounts or not, whatever your feeling is about the general credibility of these types of charges – the volume of women is just so high that I have trouble believing that there is nothing behind what is happening here, especially when so many of the of the women are not just going for criminal charges, but you know they're 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 putting themselves at risk of perjury and other uh, considerations going forward and making this a a criminal case. So he's the first. He's the next thing that has to happen in this whole process of what's going to go forward. Other than that, I wrote an article about Mitch Trubisky, which I just do not understand the Trubisky hype. If he goes to the Giants, I think that makes some sense as a guy who competes for a starting job with someone like Daniel Jones. I don't understand him as being the 1A option for a team like the Commanders or someone else here because of the fact that I would rather have Jameis Winston, who may or may not be returning to New Orleans. I would rather even have Marcus Mariota. The, The idea that... Trubisky has not been proven as much, so he has a little more upside than Mariota. I mean, he only has a couple hundred fewer dropbacks in his career than Mariota has. I think people forget how bad he has been. From a grading perspective, I looked at his trailing 500 dropbacks, his averages throughout his career. He only had a handful. There's only a handful of time. There's only a few weeks for which he had a, a year's worth of grading that was even average. Other than that, he's been below average his entire career. His 2018 season, where he had his best season, the team had its best season, he was 11th in EPA per play. He was 27th in PFF grading. So he's not even close to being that good on the grading side of things there. He's just, I think we kind of forget, especially that 2019 season, how painful of a process it was watching Mitchell Trubisky play. Now, is there a possibility he can turn things around? Of course there's a possibility. There always is, but we have absolutely no evidence on the field evidence of that being the case. And this idea that Matt Nagy is the problem is really flip side to what the narrative was where Nagy won the coach of the year in 2018 for the fact that he got so much out of Mitch Trubisky who did not really impress many people at all other than his ability to scramble in 2018. So I don't understand him as being a big option in this quarterback market at all. Jimmy Garoppolo is another guy. I think Garoppolo, you know, I'm a Garoppolo truther. So I think he would be a good option, whether it be for the Bucks in particular, or maybe the Steelers, another team that wants to compete. And I would not be surprised if something pops on that 
early early this week. The fan base will be upset, but I think it'll be a good move for a modest price, whoever wants to bring that on. Maybe you can even try to figure out to renegotiate uh, and, and get some sort of cap relief there. I think he's the next piece that'll that'll come into the equation there. And then other than that, Teddy Bridgewater, other people probably may end up falling somewhere, but I would have him well below someone like Garoppolo, where I know not everyone believes that, but I would have him well below someone like Garoppolo, maybe even below someone like Ryan Fitzpatrick, if you really wanted just a stopgap for a single year to bring in. And let's remember, people were somewhat excited about Fitzpatrick going to the Washington football team last year before the injury took him out for the season. So that is my wrap up that I wanted to make sure I come to you guys with to uh, for the quarterback news and everything else going on here. I will be back at you next week, which I'm sure more things will be going on. In the meantime, rate, review the pod. Uh, go ahead and send me a note on Twitter if there's any topics you want me to touch on here. But until then, everyone have a great weekend. Uh, enjoy the NFL news, and I'll be talking at you again next week.